The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Far we studied, He's truly your shepherd, then you shall not want. And we just, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of our peace, He makes us lie down in the green pastures, He leads us beside still waters. Uh, he provides directions for our lives, and always his directions are always in the paths of righteousness. And we talk about stress and stressful sheep are not very productive sheep and so on. And we talked about the reason we are stressed is because we are kind of dumb like sheep. And last week, we talked about Jehovah Rapha, and that was the most encouraging message of the series, I'm sure, because we talked about death, Right? I know some, I see some visitors that actually came back. And we talked about that when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, in order to be a valley, there has to be mountains. And we talked about Psalm 22 being the Mount Calvary Psalm, and Psalm 24 being the Mount Zion Psalm, which are the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that the valley of the shadow of death to a born believer, born again believer, is really is just a shadow. Shadows can scare us, but they cannot hurt us. We are folks, we are pilgrims, and as we read last time in Psalm 116, 15, it says, precious is in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's precious because now you finally get home and you see our Lord Savior face to face. Uh, face to face. And death is just a step, you know, the Bible says, to be absent from the body is what? to be present with the Lord. And whoever is counting on the long years here or pleasures here will be quite furnished for the world to come. Now, as we're walking through this valley of death, and that's what we're doing today, we get scared, we get stressed. And that's why also in verse 4, David said, his staff and his rod, they comfort me. Now, when we get, we get scared, we tend to lose focus and we get scared or we shift our focus away from the shepherd. If we're not staying close to him, the devil's right there. The devil's right there. And what he wants to do is for us to think negatively about our shepherd, negatively about God. That's what he does. He doesn't want us to have good feelings towards God. He wants you to have negative feelings because if the devil knows if he can get you to thinking negatively about God, he can almost do anything with you what he wants. What did he do with Eve in the Garden of Eden? He asked her a question. Has God indeed said, remember in Genesis 3.1, if you look at it, now the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field, the Lord. And that last verse says, you shall not eat. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? That's not what God said. He said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. God said the complete opposite. If you look at Genesis 2.16, and the Lord commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, except one tree. That's not what God said. But do you see what the devil did there? He wants to, for us to think negatively about God, and he's doing that job today. Everybody thinks, you know, when you invite him to church or you tell him to come to God, they all think that God is some kind of cosmic killjoy, you know. Every time you're having a party, he just moves in and breaks it up. They just think this, have this negative opinion about God. And, you know, when we were serving God, we, we, a lot of Christians, too, they think that serving God is, 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 you know, they kind of have to do it in order to get to heaven. 
versus something I get to do. Not, it's not something they want to do. It's like taking bad medicine. Anybody take bad medicine? Kind of chug it down. You're like, yeah. But that's the, the only alternative is to be sick, right? So you kind of, that's a distorted idea of the goodness of our great God. And look at Psalm of 23, the Lord is my provider. And let's read again all six verses, and we'll be looking at verse 5. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And our verse this morning is verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. In this verse, there's so much that should make you feel good about God. David states here that a great shepherd is our great provider. He says you can look to God for your provision. That's meeting your physical and your spiritual needs. To prepare a table is to cook a meal. To prepare tables to provide a meal. It has to do with meeting the essential needs of the sheep. And he says the Lord, who is my shepherd, prepares the table. Now, I can't cook, and I have no interest in learning how to cook. I mean, I burn water when I boil it, but uh, pretty bad in my house. So because I don't cook, my meals are prepared. They're cooked for me. It means somebody has to prepare them because otherwise I'll go hungry, right? Now, if somebody else is preparing them, I don't have to get all involved in it, right? I don't have to come up with a grocery list. I don't have to worry about the ingredients, the spices, and all that stuff. I don't get worried about which pot, which pan to use, which utensils. I don't deal with any of that. I just show up to the table. Now you say, well, what's he talking about? Poor Katrina, right? I don't have to deal with any of that, but I am really going somewhere with this. So it's fundamental for us to understand when he says this, God is the provider, and it is understanding that God alone, listen, God alone is the source of all your provisions. And for some reason, we don't understand that. We don't. We think uh, most of the time we're the source of our own provision, maybe our knowledge, our education, our talent, our skills, and that somehow we're the source. You know, sometimes it's like uh, saying, uh, you, um, you get in your car on your way home, you turn on the radio, music comes out, you say, I'm listening to music coming out of my radio. Anybody do that? Listen to music coming out of your radio? Well, it's true, and that's not true. There are no bands in your radio. There's no little tiny midgets stuck in your radio. There's no little Shakira Shakira in there. All your radio is is a contact from another source delivering the signal that you pick up. But we give credit to the radio, right, for giving us the music. 
But all it is is just the contact point, the signal. The music comes from another source. So it is with God. David says about God, prepare a table. He understands that God alone is the source. Now, there may be interim steps where God, from God before it gets to you. But without God as the source, it will never get to you. Look at Psalm 104, verses 10 through 21. He says, he sends the springs into valleys. They flow among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them the birds of heavens have their home. They sing among the branches. He waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with fruit of your works. The earth is satisfied with fruit of your works. His works. God's works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle. Hey, no grass. Cattle don't eat. No milk. No cereal. A vegetation for the service of men that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine that makes the glad, the, glad uh, the heart of men, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens men's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon, which he planted where the birds make their nest. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high hills are for the wild goats. The cliffs are refuge to the rock badgers. He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows it's going down. You make darkness in its night, in which all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from who? God. He says when the lions go eat, they know where their source is. Their source is from God. He is the starting point of everything that you possess. Every time your table is set and you say grace, why is it appropriate to say, say grace? Because God is the source. You know, usually when somebody sits in front of something in front of you, you have a courtesy would say thank you. If you go to a restaurant or somebody in front of you sets a plate, you say thank you. It's appropriate to give thanks. Now, if it's appropriate to give thanks to the person that's bringing it to you, if it's okay to say thank you for the delivery, you thank the pizza man, you probably give him a tip too, Right? And it's a courtesy. But they are not the source. They are the delivery mechanism. It's appropriate to thank God for every time you partake in something that's, that sustains your life. Because David says, it's God who provides. He prepares the table before me. God is the provider. Some say, no, Costco is my provider. Grocery store is my provider. Well, they have to go back to the mill. The mill goes back to the farm. The farm goes back to the land, you know, the seed, the rain, the sun. Who gives all that? God, he is the source. And he prepares the table before me. Who sets the table at your house? If nobody's coming, I'm allowed to do it. But if somebody's coming, I'm not the one who usually sets the table. You know, instead of placemats, we have linen tablecloths and all that kind of stuff. But why, why do we prepare a table? Especially when guests come over, right? You know, we always try to make it look fancy or whatever. The best way we can. Why, why do we prepare the table? To honor the guest, the person who's coming. And here's saying... God himself, God who created the universe, 
and everything that's in it, he's put on an apron, and he's preparing a table for you. Jehovah God has prepared a table for me. Look in verse again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So he prepares all this greatness. He's the source of everything in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Who are enemies? We're watching him prepare because I can't cook or anything, so I'm standing there looking at the table. And then he's doing it with enemies looking on. You see, when David was a shepherd, he would prepare his sheep, right? Remember we talked about the valley of shadow death, narrow passages and so forth. And sometimes they would take food with them, not just the grass, some feed, some corn, things like that. And they would, instead of, now if you watch sheep farming, Matter of fact, if I, something happens, I could be a sheep farmer now. I learned so much about sheep. You, they put tubs and they put all that feed in there and they come on. But in, but in those days, they would have a cloth sack that they take with them. And sometimes when it needed to feed the sheep, certain sheep that wouldn't eat, they, they would take that sack and they'll put it on the ground. They open it and the sheep would eat it from that tablecloth. And then he'll just wrap it up and carry it along. But remember, when they were in the valley of shadow of death, what's there? What's hiding there? Coyotes, right? The wolves, foxes. That's why the sheep was afraid in the valley of shadows. But the sheep won't be afraid in the valley of the shadows when the shepherd's there because shepherd's got a rod. Remember we talked about that? The staff, his grace is there. So it's time to eat. They're eating in front of these foxes, these wolves, these enemies. And they're looking up the hills and saying, I want some of that sheep, but I can't get to it. Because the shepherd's there. I'm hungry. I want to swallow it. Not only that, it's sitting there eating good food. The shepherd is taking care of it in the presence of his enemy. So what's an enemy in our life? It's anything that really threatens your substance and security. It's when your needs are not being met. You know, you can get away from your needs being met. I mean, for example, the stock market, right? Could be your enemy. Stock market could be your pink slip. You didn't expect it, come to work, you no longer have a job. You're thinking, how, is, how am I gonna provide? from a family or things like that. Maybe you had some unexpected surprises at home. You ever get home and your fridge broke? You're like, really? Got to buy a new fridge? Unexpected expenses. So he didn't say we're not going to have enemies, but even with those enemies, with those things, God still knows how to prepare a table when we have those enemies. You know, when we moved to America, we didn't have much. My dad was the only one working, you know, five kids. I was 10 when we moved. And he would get a pink slip from work. But my parents knew how to make anything and turn it into a meal. Anybody remember Spam? Whip up something and turn it into a meal. And it would taste good too, right? 
Anybody have fried bologna? Look at that. It's delicious. Put some onions on it. You know why? Because in Psalms 37, 25, this is what it says. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. God is not subject to economy, stock market, the unemployment rate, circumstances. In the midst of bad times, he still knows how to set good tables in the presence of these enemies. And then the next thing he says, anoint my head with oil. You prepare a table for me, verse 5, before me in the presence of my enemies, you, ahead, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. We talked about that where Sherrods carry the little thing with oil and they take the oil because two primary reasons. It'll be like a repellent, you know, like we have that repellent off or whatever. You go out there, you spray it and keeps the mosquitoes and all the gnats off you and all that kind of stuff. The same thing happened with sheep. They would get irritated and often tormented by gnats and mosquitoes and drive them crazy. So they would massage it in their heads and their eyes, around their eyes. So it was a repellent. It was also used, we talked about, to uh, soothe the wounds. If the sheep went into a thicket or some berries and got stuck and got scraped up, uh, had cuts, it healed. And remember, David said, I am to my sheep what the Lord is to me. So that's what he's doing. In other words, he does not let the irritations of life, he anoints us with oil, these gnats, some of you may be living with gnats, some of you be working with mosquitoes. Anybody work with mosquitoes? They just nip and nip at you all day long, driving you crazy. Even though you were all working from home, they still find a way. He will not let the irritations of life bring you down. He will comfort you in pain. It's a wonderful thing to see. You know, it's, it's wonderful for me to see some of you even in this church that are going through so, so much pain, not just spiritually, I'm talking about physically, but yet you're still praising God because he provides you. I see that comfort, that peace that only he could provide in their eyes. They're not complaining. So it's like Neosporin, the antibiotic that kills the germs and gets rid of the itching. It's designed to smooth the wound, bring healing comfort in the midst of pain. And you know, Folks, I wish I could stand out here and promise you, you come to Christ, you'll have no more pain. I'd be a liar. Pain is everywhere. It just seems to show up, just pops up, right? One thing goes away, another thing pops up. There's no way to run away from life's challenges. You don't run to pain, but at the same time, we can't escape it. But I promise you this. Just like a guy who jumps out of an airplane, free-falling, and then he pulls on the string with a, with a string, and the parachute takes him down. God knows how to break the fall. God knows how to break the fall. It may not stop the flight, but God knows how to land you safely. He knows how to meet you. He knows your personal thing, your needs. He, he's a personal physician. It gives you that inner peace. And folks, the reason why God maybe hasn't gotten rid of some physical pain or things like that in your life, because maybe he wants you to 
have an experience that only that context will allow you to have. Maybe God is doing something with you, but he brings comfort. He anoints my head with oil. He brings me peace. And remember, we talked about that. Sometimes God uses the rod and the staff on his sheep. The next thing he talks about is a cup running over. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. In the Bible times, they didn't really have hotels, motels, and restaurants. They did have a few inns. And most of them were dirty, filthy, and a few were, they were very crowded. Remember when Jesus was being born, there was no room in the inn for him. They were expensive and many times very immoral. But there was a law in the land, the law of hospitality. And if you were traveling and you came to a man's house in the middle of the day and asked for food, it would be unbelievably, it would be unthinkable that they would refuse to give you some food. It was the law of the land. Simply, it's just the law of the land. And suppose a stranger came to you in the evening time, and he sits down and gives you, you give him his meal. Uh, you've done, you've been nice. You fed him. It's time for him to go on. Or suppose you really like this person. You even stripe up a conversation. He's a very interesting person, and you want to get to know them more. And whatever reason you want them to stay. Here's what they would do. The host would take his cup at the end of the meal. Say they're eating, they're drinking. They would take his cup, and the host would take a pitcher. If it was time for the man to go, he would only fill it halfway. He'll fill it halfway. And what it means, mister, you finish your dessert, now hit the road. Finish up that cup. But if they wanted them to stay, they would fill it up all the way to the brim. And they would just keep filling it up. And that means you're a special guest. I want you to stay. I love you. And Jehovah moited my head. He loves me. Our cups runs over. He's showing hospitality to me. And who is the Jehovah in the New Testament? The Lord Jesus Christ. And in John 15, 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants. For servants do not know what his master is doing. But I call you what? Friends. Isn't that beautiful? Not only he prepares the table for us, provides the anointing oil, but he, he wants us to stay. The cup runs over. He calls us friends. Now, I look that some people describe as friends some interesting things. A friend is somebody who knows all about you and loves you just the same. That's a good. A friend is someone who goes on liking you no matter how successful either of you becomes. Here's a good definition. A friend is somebody who believes in you when you have ceased to believe in yourself. Pretty good, right? A friend is a source of celebration when you come to believe that there's nothing to celebrate. A friend is somebody who comes to your side when you call and often answers even before you call. And of course, we know all those things picture the Lord Jesus Christ. And somebody else said, a friend goes, does not go on a diet because you're fat. Now, the scripture here in Psalm 23, 5, pictures the Lord as a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. He prepares a table for us. Not only that, but I was thinking about 
how many tables were Jesus preparing? And it, it seems like when you read the scripture from Genesis to Revelations, you see all kinds of Jews had all kinds of feasts, celebrations, and tables, and so forth. Uh, it's kind of a continual feast. They're always having suppers, dinners, banquets, and feasts all throughout the Bible. You know, sometimes people criticize Baptists for having too many potlucks. But hey, fellowship around the meal is, is biblical. And I was thinking about all these feasts and the meals our Lord prepared for his disciples. The good shepherd. Remember the time when Jesus fed the 5,000? Performed a miracle to feed 5,000? A few fish and loaves fed 5,000 people? That's just 5,000 men. I'm sure there was women and children, they said. He prepared a table of replenishment. What was the enemy? Insufficiency. Remember how, how we're going to feed these people. That was the enemy. We don't have enough. And folks, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I feel so inadequate. I run out of resources. But I don't know how some things I happen in my life. People ask, how do you have time for all this? I don't know. It just falls in together. Just do it, but yet somehow I still have enough time for everything. The Lord, the Lord takes care of it. I can't explain it how, how he meets my needs day to day. And I'm just not talking about just physical needs. It's more than that. And I want to ask you a question. Is there any way logically to explain the feeding of 5,000? Told a little boy, uh, some fish, some bread. He took it. All of a sudden, you have Moby Dick on the beach. How, how did that happen? How, how do you explain that? How, how do you explain that? There's no way to explain it except God. You can't explain it apart from God. What is it in your life that cannot be explained apart from God? I mean, if your neighbor can explain, just says he's just like me, just like he's religious, that's, that's not really, that's explainable. But when he sees God who is supernaturally meeting your needs and you're relying on him and he's preparing the table of this replenishment, that, that's something that's going to be believable. Somebody's going to say something different about those people. Not only it's a table of replenishment, it's a table of restoration. Do you remember when Simon Peter cursed God and swore and denied the Lord Jesus? You guys remember that? Jesus was crucified. He was raised from the dead. Disciples were discouraged and they weren't sure. They were now half believing and half doubting. What did Peter say? In John 21, 3 says, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. What did the rest of them say? We're going with you. Said, this is over. They're discouraged. I'm going to go fishing, doing the same thing I was doing. But what were they supposed to be doing? In Luke 24, 49, it says, Behold, I send my promise my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you endured with power from the high. They were being disobedient, unhappy, out there fishing. And they fished all night, haven't caught anything. And then Jesus said, He's on the shore. Have you caught anything? You know, the rest of the recent cheap, the trip I took to Tennessee, three days I was fishing. Caught nothing. 
wife's like, did you catch anything? Don't you hate it when people say that? They said, no. Well, he says, why don't you cast your net to the other side? And they are just like, all right, just to amuse you, we will. They didn't know it was Jesus at the time when they were speaking to him. But when they cast it to the other side and caught all those fish, Peter knew it was Jesus. It's the Lord. And Peter took off his fisherman coat and ran over there on the shore. What was Jesus doing? He prepared the meal. There was fish and there was bread. I know how he got the fish, you know, by the sea. I don't know how he made the bread. Maybe he took some stones and made them into bread. I don't know. Do you know how hungry you are? You're working all night. And look what Jesus says in John 21, 12. Jesus said to him, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of his disciples dared to ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? He says, come and eat breakfast. And the restoration happened at this table. If you read, it's not in the PowerPoint, but if you read further down in chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, we remember that Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And three times he told him to feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. So it's also a table of restoration. Have we failed God? Have any of you failed God? Probably not. Maybe it's... As Peter here denied him or cursed him and things like that. So there's a table that God prepares as table restoration. And there's also another table. He was the host at this table where he passed the cup and said, do this in remembrance of me. We do that. We kind of put it on hold, but we do that first Sunday of the month. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, and they gave him things broken and said, take heed, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance. So there's replenishment, restoration, and we also come to the table for remembrance. And not only that, but listen, there is a table that is yet to come, the best table of all. In Mark 14, 25, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the wine until that day when I drink in the new, in the kingdom of God. Where's that going to be? That is going to be in the marriage, the supper of the Lamb. There's, there's going to be a feast coming. And God, who's preparing a place for you, he's also preparing a feast. In one of those days, we're going to sit down at that table. One of these days he will come. We're going to be cut up in the air, swept in to meet the Lord, and we're going to sit down. Think of the fullness also we have in Christ. When he said, anoint my head with oil, not only it's used to repel gnats, mosquitoes, it's also used to refresh it, to have a sweet perfume. So when a guest would come, you remember, when Jesus came, they put oil on his feet and everything like that. When a guest would come, they would offer this oil. Because they didn't have Uber donkeys traveling, you know, so people would travel dusty roads, it's hot, 
smelly, stinky, so they would give this oil so they'd have a perfume, refreshment for the guest. And in Psalm 92, 10, it says, but by horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. Fresh oil freshens you up. In Psalm 45, 7, it says, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Fresh oil, the oil of gladness. You know, if you're a Christian, you should smell different. People should smell Christ on you. That's what I mean, not the other way. Come on, guys. Smell Christ. Is there, is there a Christ aroma in your life? He anoints your head with oil. What does that tell me? It ought to be a refreshing, sweet aroma of gladness also serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, don't feel sorry for me. You know, people say, oh, you're a Christian, you can't do this, you can't. Don't feel sorry for me, I'm a Christian. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning he anoints by fresh oil. And, and what's exciting for me is that Scripture is still exciting every day for me. It gets more real. He satisfies every need. He's there in the fullness of Christ. He prepares the table. The more I study it, the more I prepare, the more real it becomes. So don't let the devil think negatively that you think negatively about God. And the cup runs over. You know, somebody says, well, my cup's not running over. We understand God provides and all that stuff. But if you're a child of God, remember in John 10 it says, in verse 10, the thief does not come to accept, to steal, and to kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and that they may have it, what? More abundantly. Not only did he add years to, years to your life, he add life to your years. It's an abundant, full life. And I was thinking about the abundance he gives. And folks, you know it's true. When Jesus turned water into wine, do you remember that story in John chapter 2? Bible scholars tell us that he made 120 gallons of wine that day. That cup overflowed. They drank all the good wine. Now all they, had, they, they drank all that wine. They didn't need 120 gallons of wine. But that cup overflowed. Let me give you another example. In John 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? This is the feeding of 5,000. But he said that to test him, for he himself he knew what he would do. Not it was only a table of replenishment in the presence of his enemies to display his power, and he did do that. But when Jesus fed the 5,000, look what happened afterwards in John 6, 13. They're all ed, ate, they're, they're full. and says, therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves and left over by those who have eaten. Is God not given abundantly? He fed the 5,000. Not only that, but there's leftovers. He's given abundantly. And, you know, in Philippians 4, 7, he speaks of peace, but it's not just peace. God gives us peace, but it's not just regular peace. It surpasses all understanding. When he gives us joy, he speaks of joy. 
in 1 Peter 1.8, it says, you rejoice with inexpressible and full of glory. What kind of joy is that? My cup runs over. And when the prodigal son returned, came back in Luke 15.23, look what it says, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. He didn't say, okay, he's back, let's kill a chicken. No, he said, bring the calf. And not only that, bring the best one. And then he said in 1522, and Luke says, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Look, folks, he's, just not, he's not even talking about necessities here, right? He didn't say just get him a shirt, clean shirt. And all. He says, bring the best robe. Put a ring. What is that talking about? That's talking about luxury. Now, I'm not preaching prosperity gospel here, but I'm saying that God provides more than we need. We're talking about his infinite goodness and fullness. He just keeps on giving and giving and giving. Have you ever thought about God that way? Think about it. Just think through the back to the source. You guys got clothes on. God provided it. Say, I bought it, I worked for it, I went to a store. God provided it. God didn't provide the land to grow cotton. I'm sure everybody's wearing cotton. You wouldn't have a cotton shirt. God provided it. God keeps giving. And he doesn't measure his blessings, you know, by dollars or something like that like we do. He just gives and gives. And folks, we should be given as well. Matthew, 18, uh, Matthew 10, 8 says, freely you receive, freely give. But you know what some folks do when their cup starts to run over? When God's blessing them and he's giving them things and my cup's running over? You know what we tend to do? Get a bigger cup. We want a bigger cup. But you don't have to get a bigger cup, friend. If your cup is running over, uh, remember the man in the Bible whose property brought so much forth, he had so much uh, uh, feed and everything like that, and his barns were overflowing. If you look in Luke 12, verses 17 and 18, and he thought to himself, what should I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and all my goods. Now, this is not a man that's in need. He's already has barns. And then he has enough money to tear them down and build big ones. But what is he doing here? He's saying, I don't want it to run over. I just want it all for myself. I don't want it to bless anyone else. I want it all for me. And listen, friends, freely receive, freely give. Let the cup run over if God's blessing you. Because God has no limit in giving. And we all remember the story of what happened to this man. He said, you're going to die tomorrow. What, what are you going to do with all this? There's people in need. And there's a hymn called, He Gives More Grace. And the chorus goes like this. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth, he giveth and giveth again. What do we have in Lord Jesus? We have the fullness. He prepares the table for us. He replenishes us. He anoints our head 
Our cup runs over. But sometimes we'll come to the table and we're like, ah, put a little too much salt in here, right? We don't like this. We don't want the cup to run over. So if we stop doing that and reflect how truly blessed we are, how good God is. And I'm going to end with this verse. In Psalm 84, 11, says, For the Lord God is the sun and shield. The Lord will give you grace and glory. And look at this. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing he will hold for those who walk uprightly. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to come together in your house, in the house of prayer. And today we'll listen to the words that you're the provider of all, Father, and that we should be thankful for everything that we have in our life. And Father, sometimes we want a bigger cup, but really maybe you're teaching us to let us that, that we should let it overflow and help others that are in need. And Father, there are many needs of your children in this house. You know the heart of many. And Father, I pray for all the needs. I ask that you visit each heart with your Holy Spirit and lead it to the still waters. There's many stresses going on right now, people anxious. Provide them comfort and peace. And Father, as we leave this place today, I ask that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of God, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In your wonderful name I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.